Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and I can't wait to finally watch the continued adventures of Natasha Romanoff in Avengers Endgame. Wait, what? <laughs> joining us today, joining me today, I should say, is Devendra Hardwar. I'm having second thoughts about my David Harbour dad goals blog, you know, <laughs> like, especially after this movie. Jeff Kanata. This week, I learned... That my Russian accent is good enough for MCU. <laughs> <laughs> and also friend of the show, Lindsay Romain. Hi, I'm Lindsay Romain, and I am so happy to see Pew. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's wow. my really bad. Amazing. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Welcome to the show, everyone. Of course, those are all references to the fact that today on the Cast, later on for our main featured review, we're going to be reviewing Black Widow. Before that, uh, we got some weekly plugs for you as well as some what we've been watching. But we got to start with a pretty important and quite serious announcement. Um, hmm. This is pretty big. This is pretty big. Okay. And uh, I want to talk about it with you all a little bit. And thanks to Lindsay for joining us as we announce this big thing that is going to impact all of us, which is that what you're listening to right now is the final episode of the Slash Filmcast. What? Because we're continuing the show under a different name <laughs> called the Filmcast. Oh, uh, you dropped the you dropped the slash. <laughs> we lost the slash. We, okay. We're losing the slash, everyone. Uh, and yes, there was a great deal of debate beforehand about how we exactly announced this news. But, and we uh, picked the best possible way. Oh, yes. The, the to most trick compassionate... you into thinking we were ending the show. <laughs> <laughs> the most compassionate way of announcing this change. Okay. The most memorable way. I would know? like to apologize for anyone who <laughs> felt fear and, and sadness in that moment and saw 15 years of the Slash Filmcast Flash before their eyes mm -hmm. and ears. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there, that's you know, how I feel. As many time. people yeah. as there were in that category, there were also a ton of people who like jumped for joy, thinking that this show would finally end. <laughs> why uh, are they, they listening? Stop having though? to listen to it. Why, yeah. why do they come just to boo us? I don't know. I don't know. But it happens every week. Anyway, uh, so this is actually a serious announcement. The Slash Filmcast is no more we will be from this point forward a podcast called simply the film cast but not there's no simp, simply is not part of it it's not simply the film cast <laughs> it is the film cast or just the film can i say no just? it's not there's no just there's no just it's just it's it's the film cast the film cast <laughs> it's the the name of the show is yeah. The film cast. The and film in cast. ten in ten more years it'll just be film cast. <laughs> and then in ten more years it'll just be cast. Actually, I was gonna say Ilmka would be the next <laughs> thing after that. The Ilmka. <laughs> the Ilmka. Um all right. So yeah, this is not a joke. This is real. Uh and what perhaps is you noted that the beginning of the show no longer said the the slash film cast. Right, and, right. That's not it's what we are anymore. It said yeah. the mm, it said the mm, film cast, you know, yeah. like a, a space where yeah. the slash would have been. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, here's what's happening is, uh, we've been talking about this for a while with the folks at slashfilm.com. And, and let me just start by saying we love the folks at slashfilm.com. Like we, we are, we are on Absolutely. great terms with them. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, Hui Chen Bui was on the podcast just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I would expect her and others from SlashFilm.com to be on the podcast in the future, many times. Um, yes. We are on great terms with all of them, and we are so grateful for everything they've done. But I think uh, a cu- couple of things happened. We've been, we've been talking about, like, the futures of the podcast and the website, and it just started to make more sense to have the podcast be its own thing and do its own thing. And a huge part sure. of that is... Um, our patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast who supported us and basically uh, made at least me and probably you guys realize that like this thing can be an independently running operation, right? Like we can, we can survive on our own. uh, We can write our own future. And that's not just an extension of slash film.com. We are, we are, we, we have value in and of ourselves guys. Indeed. Indeed, we are just we we can be the film cast on our own, and uh, and so that's really what this is about. And I just want to say that you know we've been hosting this podcast for six almost six hundred thirty episodes. Uh, Incredible! Since yeah. I think two thousand eight was the first. I episode. remember actually. I remember exactly where I was, Dave, when <laughs> I think you called me and you were like uh, Peter Peter Serretta is kind of interested in bringing us on because we were the the Watchers podcast. Yes. And he, I was walking down the main street of Amherst, Massachusetts, because I was still living there in 2008. And uh, I was just incredibly excited, you know, because I love Peter. I love Slash Film. And uh, being able to work with him, I think, was a great opportunity for us. It's been one of the best, most rewarding experiences of my entire life. Like it's yeah. just been the, the next year we went to Comic-Con. Yeah. I moved to New York and the week after I moved to New York, <laughs> we flew to Comic-Con. Yeah. It's crazy. Where we met Jeff Kanata, by the way, for the first, for the time. first time. That's yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we started the show with Adam Quigley. Uh, eventually Jeff Kanata took on third chair and, uh, and we've had awesome guests throughout the entire time. Like Lindsay Romaine helping to support what we're doing here and, and add their opinions to the conversation in really meaningful ways. So it's been an incredible experience uh, that we have gotten so much out of. And, you know, the podcast has formed its own community. Uh, we have a, a Slack where people have met, formed relationships, gotten married because of mm. their mutual enjoyment of the Slash Filmcast. People, there are podcasts and collaborations that exist today that would not exist if it weren't for the Slash Filmcast. So, that far yeah. surpass what we are doing, both in quality and listenership. <laughs> quality, <laughs> listenership, revenue, notoriety, mm. meaningfulness to the cu- cultural relevance. You know, yeah. like just, mm-hmm. um, it's been so amazing to watch everyone surpass us in yeah. every single way. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it's been amazing and inevitable. And, yeah, I mean, just, there's been absolutely no... Resentment or bitterness as a result of that. <laughs> That's just media. That's the life in media, you know. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but I used to listen to you guys when I was in college, when I was Aww. in film school, before I ever, you know, got wow. to know any of you. Um, I remember listening to you when I would like walk on my way to film class. So Aww. being here Cheerical. is very. She always dreamed circle. about being on the last episode <laughs> that we do. She's you like, thought to yourself, "I will end show them. when it ends." <laughs> I'll bring them down and it will be the last thing I do. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. So, yeah. uh, I I think, Devendra, the the question on everyone's mind uh, Mm -hmm. is what happens to hashtag slash tag if we've dropped the slash? It's a good question. It's a good question. We actually haven't talked about that. So, but that brings up a great point. (laughs) That that could be our residual. That could just be the thing. I think hashtag slash tag 
cannot be defeated. It's too good. It's, yeah. too, it's good. too good. So there's a there's a few things that will remain, right? Uh, hashtag slash tag is one of them. The slash filmcast at gmail.com email address will still function for probably a, a little while longer uh, while we get the new email address up and running. Um, but uh, we are now at the filmcast.com. Um, the podcast icon in the uh, podcast, like Apple Podcasts and your podcast app will probably change. Uh, the name will change. So if you're looking for us, it's going to be the film cast, not the slash film cast. And not filming, a you know, film cast. The, the, film cast. the film cast. Not, not filmcast.com, not a filmcast.com, the filmcast.com. So, yeah. So all those things will change. Um, but and, they don't have to do anything to keep getting episodes delivered to their podcast catcher of to- choice, right? Absolutely correct. You know, uh, we, we're just, I was just talking about things that are going to change. Here are some things that won't change, right? Is if you're already getting podcast episodes in your podcast feed, uh, you should continue to get them. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, the, don't worry. You don't need to resubscribe anywhere else. Like it's going to be a seamless change. If you are subscribed to the Patreon, uh, you will continue to get episodes in your Patreon app and on your Patreon uh, private feeds. You don't need to change anything. Uh, it's really, and also you might ask, what's going to change about the show? Uh, not that much. Uh, that, uh, the, the, that like half a second that it takes us to say slash. Yeah. That's this time we'll save. Uh, that, that's time yeah. we're giving back to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. Free time. In the uh, you know Jerry Seinfeld had this bit about when you when you get down to the end of the soap, right? Like yeah. you have this tiny thin sliver of soap, and you can either throw it away, or you can meld do a Vulcan mind meld into the that's, next soap. It's the best right? part. And if you do, do a Vulcan oh, mind meld. You're basically saving that sliver of soap, and if you do that over the course of your life, think you're saving like bars yeah. of soap. Yeah. It's like sourdough really. starter. It'll this live for my, years. This is my father's mythos. <laughs> it's also right. Theseus's soap at that point. Uh-huh. So true. So true. So uh, basically, uh, imagine how much time we're going to save you over the course of the rest of the life of the show, however long that is. Think of us as a tiny <laughs> sliver of soap. Think of, a, think of this podcast's cultural relevance as the equivalent of a tiny piece of soap that is uh-huh. left over after you've done your washing. Yeah. Uh, Some people might throw it away. <laughs> after you've had 500 showers. Right. Um, but no, the, the podcast is going to stay the same. The format's going to stay the same. Uh, we're going to get guests whenever we can. Uh, so basically... Most things will stay the same. It's just going to be we have a new name. We're going to be operating on our own website and, uh, and some at other the cool stuff. Com. Some other yeah. cool stuff, dude. We get a, we're getting a new logo. Yep, new logo, and probably uh, getting to merchandise pretty soon. Um, can we, so that's can we hint at the other cool thing that we're getting that's new? Maybe, maybe keep your ears open. How about yeah, that? Yeah. What, mm. what what are you what are you referring to, Jeff? The new theme song. Oh yes, that's right. So. You you probably listened to our theme song today, and you're like, "Wow, they're really just going to keep it that way." Yeah, I mean, Adam Warrock did an incredible job, yeah. and you can find his work at Bandcamp, by the way. Uh, yeah. When he wrote, our I love him. I, lo- I love I love Eugene. He is not making music anymore, yeah. but we are we are like the, the a lasting vestige of his career is amazing. I know, and he's a very talented guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be using that uh, temporary theme song until we get a new one. But we, we are in the process of getting a new one. We are extremely excited about the new one. It's, oh, uh, so it's going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. pretty awesome. You know, guys, I just thought of an incredible guest, which I think would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess who from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, I uh-huh. can't say. Uh-huh. S- slash. <laughs> he's going to come on. He's going to be like, <laughs> I missed it. You mean from... 
from Scott! Guns N' Roses? Yeah, Gun- Guns N' yeah, Roses. Yeah, yeah, sorry, dude. from Guns N' Roses. I was yeah. say, what? <laughs> you really I'm thinking they, they did a mashup recently. You really, Guns you really Roses, lost yeah. me there. You really lost me. Yeah. Like, Flea? Flea. <laughs> oh, yes, Flea. That's who I was thinking of. But no, Slash and Guns N' Roses did something recently. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they, if they if they got together and, and made a show, it would be the Slash, Fe- the Slash Flea cast. Wow. Yes. Yeah, this is a- and then we could talk about Point Break. Yes. <laughs> I already deeply regret how this is going. <laughs> the Slash Flea cast. <laughs> this is a completely ignominious beginning to the film cast. <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, so uh, merch on the way, new theme song on the way. Uh, but uh, the web- website URL is thefilmcast.com. On Twitter, we are at thefilmcastpod now. Uh, and so a lot of things are changing. A lot of stuff is staying the same, though, which is three of us are still going to be here. We'll still have awesome guests like Lindsay Remain on uh, regularly. Um, and we'll still have guests from SlashFilm.com on uh, rather uh, frequently as well. We are huge fans of each other and we'll continue to be fans of each other into the future. Absolutely no hard feelings. This just mm-hmm. made the most sense from an editorial perspective, from a business perspective, and we are excited about the future. So, yeah. yeah. But no hard feelings if you want to stop listening to this and just <laughs> listen to the Slash Flea class. <laughs> well, I, I think we, just, we made, uh, we made an incredible mashup podcast. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Also, uh, we'll probably lose the people who just like really love the slash part of our of our <laughs> name. They were you know? just here for the slash like, part. Eyes yeah. up here, guys. Eyes up here. It's the <laughs> film cast. It's the film cast. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I, I guess um, uh, in in the remaining time we have in this opening segment, I just do want to reflect briefly on uh, our time at at slashfilm.com as a slash filmcast in a, in a serious way, which is like I think that. Uh, you know, we started this podcast around 13 years ago. I started working with Devendra about 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it at the time, it was like a dream. It was like a dream to be able Absolutely. to uh, work for one of these major film blogs. It was Listen, like... Like, a, Dave, like, we, we, our friendship started because we were reading all the film blogs. Like, ain't it cool? And I don't even, I don't think Chud was around back then, but, you know, we read that when that became a thing. Yeah. The early days, it was like, wow, I'm so dazzled by like the fact that we're even doing this. And then uh, to be able to have people on the show, you know, like Ryan Johnson, and uh, mm-hmm. I got to interview James Cameron at one point, and uh, many, many other folks that like have stopped by on the show and shared about their work has just been absolutely incredible. And it could not have happened mm-hmm. if we were not a part of SlashFilm.com. Right? Like yeah. it just it, if it was just me and Devendra and Adam Quigley, hard limits to the people we could get on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, I would never have shown up. Yeah, I mean, Jeff. <laughs> Who are these jokers? Jeff yeah. barely wants to be on the podcast today That's when, right. when we're part of SlashFilm.com. You know, like I'm here mostly for the slash. He's here mostly for the slash. So actually, we, huge negotiation to keep him on. F- mm. FYI. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah so yeah so like just the fact that like. Uh, somebody, people like us who were like basically nobodies, still are nobodies to a large degree, uh, could be able to chat with these people, right? Who are making culture. Uh, it has been just absolutely incredible and gratifying, mm-hmm. and we're so grateful to you, our listeners, for allowing that to happen. And we will continue um, to deliver interesting conversations to the best of our abilities in the days to come. Yep, that's one thing I, I wanted to reflect on is just like how much stuff has happened. Our first, yeah. I remember when we first started, Devendra was talking about how we were with the Watchers podcast. And I remember at the time, 
we were hosted on a now defunct website called Mevio.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, the and we had USB, we had uh, headsets, not microphones. And <laughs> yep, I was recording yep. the podcast on a sound blaster. Uh-huh. And is that true? Yeah, hundred percent. The only way and, to reroute sound, Jeff. Yeah, That's um, and uh, we were getting about 120 downloads an episode, uh, which I was just like absolutely thrilled by because I'm like I don't even know 120 people, you know, like in my life. Yeah. So the fact that we're getting 120 <laughs> downloads means there's people I don't know who listen to the podcast. There's like 10 more than we get now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that the podcast listenership has declined precipitously <laughs> in the last few months. Uh, but yeah, uh, so just getting 120, and then I remember when we moved to Slashnow.com, our first episode was like a thousand downloads. It's like, wow, this is incredible. We made it. In the yeah. time since then, the podcast has been downloaded over 50 million times. And uh, it's it's just like, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who find meaning in the show. M- more meaning frequently than we ourselves find in the show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, you know, on occasion, it's for us, it's like, hey, we're showing up, we're talking about movies and like, some uh, some people have written in and said like it's it's a profound experience for them to listen to the show and we are just really grateful that that has been able yeah. to be the case and uh, we want to continue for that we want that to continue uh, yeah. as long and as we here's can make another it fifty million yeah yeah indeed yeah yeah, yeah. As, as as quickly as possible also yeah, within a year uh, please yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also the, dollars uh, not listeners by the way yes. I just want that to make yeah go ahead Jeff well speaking of which you know you already mentioned it but it, it bears repeating how how much the Patreon has meant to this show over the last year or however long it's been less than a year. Um, it is, it has been such a huge boon to our lives and to, I think the quality of the show and yes. the things we've been able to do. And, yes. uh, we are so grateful to all the folks that have been listening to us for a long time, a short time, but are willing to step up and show their support mm-hmm. in a material way. It is, um, it really is amazing. And we're, super grateful for it it's fantastic like I, now i can tell my wife when i need to watch the tomorrow war uh yeah i gotta i gotta do this for the thing for the we're, we're making money for this, on the Patreon. For this money-making yeah. enterprise that is now a significant part of our lives and uh and this income. machine will never People end actually <laughs> yeah. paying me to do this honey it's not i don't want to what? Yeah. what you say, what's that you say? This is a waste of my time and my family's time? Um, no, I defy the, that statement. The Tomorrow War is putting food on the table, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, for the After Dark today, uh, we're going to be diving into spoilers for the Tomorrow War. So that's what you got in store for patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast. Um, that is the After Dark episode today. But yeah, uh, that is the announcement of what is going on. Uh, some stuff is going to change. A lot of stuff's going to stay the same. Uh, we're still going to be here. Uh, we hope you will still be here. And uh, I think it's going to be fun. So thanks, everyone. And uh, yeah, it's... Long live the film cast. Long live the film cast at thefilmcast.com. Hey, it's time to talk about our sponsor, Ship Station. Now, <laughs> let me tell you why Ship Station makes so much sense to me personally. Years ago, I did a Kickstarter. I was very proud of it and had a good time doing this Kickstarter for a project that I was able to make. And in it, I shipped people t-shirts. And can I tell you, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare dealing with shipping, dealing with trying to calculate it, working out, fulfilling orders. All of that took away from the thing that I was passionate about, which was making this project. And it made me have to deal with all this minutia that I didn't want to have to deal with. ShipStation 
Oh man, gosh, do I wish that existed back then? Because it is, it exists for this very kind of thing. If you have any need to ship anything, let's say you have your own Etsy store or Shopify, your own website. If you ship things, ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You can import orders from any sales channel, ship with any carrier using ShipStation's deeply discounted rates, and automate just about any shipping task. So it's no wonder that over 100,000 online sellers choose ShipStation. No matter how you sell, Shopify, Etsy, anything, ShipStation funnels all your orders into one simple interface that you can manage from anywhere, even your cell phone. You'll even get access to amazing discounts with major carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and US Postal Service. Easily compare carriers and choose the best solution every time. With ShipStation, small businesses can now access the same rates usually reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or commitments. Ship more in less time for less money, a lot less money. Just use the promo code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, to get a 60-day free trial. Wow, that's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, type in FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Again, that's ShipStation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter offer code FILMCAST and make ship happen let's get to what we have been watching this week Lindsay romaine tell us about amazingly patient for as we <laughs> yeah thank you Lindsay. as we yeah. go up our own butts right now you know <laughs> uh Lindsay, what have you been watching this week yeah so this week i've been watching um fear street part two 1978, which is a mouthful <laughs> of a title. Um, but yeah, I mean, I watched the first one when it came out. Also, I actually reviewed it for Nerdist. And I've been following along with the series, the film trilogy, I guess, as it comes out. And yeah, the latest one just came out on Friday. It's set in 1978. Uh, the first one was set in the 90s. And yeah, I've been I've been enjoying this film trilogy. I don't know that I like super duper love it, but I've been having fun with it. It's a good like summer slasher series i'm enjoying Mm -hmm. that netflix is experimenting a little bit with release schedules and how they're sort of putting this out there um yeah i've i share some of the criticisms that i've seen uh with other people who find the needle drops a little bit annoying (laughs) so many needle drops (laughs) so So many many. i thought maybe the first one had kind of overdone it and then it would just be smooth sailing Mm -hmm. but then the second one was like oh no we're gonna put every 70s song you've ever heard (laughs) i think we're really all wondering (laughs) what is 1666 gonna be like what are the needle drops there (laughs) i know it's gonna be like old is it gonna be all classical maybe it'll be like the westworld thing where it's like covers (laughs) of you know Yes. Uh, I don't know, Nirvana or something. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been fun. I don't know that it really evokes like Fear Street, the books, all that well to me. Mm-hmm, like it's it's mm-hmm. a fun slasher horror thing, but like Fear Street books were pretty PG from my recollection. And they were they were only like slightly more like mature than Goosebumps. Yeah. Not really much more. Yeah, know. like I feel like I remember in like seventh grade I read Goosebumps and in eighth grade I read Fear Street. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, it's just kind of a step up, but the movies are so far very 
brutal and very you know sexual and stuff and surprisingly brutal at times i think i I watched the first one i have not seen the second one yet but i loved how like i was surprised and shocked by many elements of that first movie and it pretty much got me all in on this trilogy yeah yeah it's pretty gnarly the first one has one of the gnarliest kills i feel like i've seen (laughs) in a in a horror movie in a long time uh, which kind of came out of nowhere and you know this the second one's got some pretty good gore too Um, yeah, I think the only thing that's sort of holding me back from being like super duper into it is that I find, first of all, I think, uh, so far each one has been a little long. Uh, I think Mm. that they would be better at maybe like an hour and 20 minutes versus I think they've both been almost a full two hours. And, um, and then I think one of my other slight criticisms is I don't know if the mythology at the center of it is all that compelling to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's sort of a central plot following this Sarah Fear character who a big bad witch. Yeah. It was a big bad witch and kind of that ties all the films together. And so far I find that to be one of the weakest parts of it, but maybe it'll all come together in, in 1666, which is the third one that comes out this week. So yeah, we'll see, but I'm, I've been digging it. It's a fun kind of summer, summer slasher Mm -hmm. time (laughs) at home, not at the movies, but yeah, I've been, I've been liking it. Here's my question is, these movies are coming out like once, one after another each week. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's like at this point, it feels like the difference between a movie and a TV episode mm-hmm. is like this is what really I, that's what I talked thin, about right? last yeah, week. Yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. do you feel like the production values are, I, I don't know. I mean, there's also extremely expensive TV shows as well. Right? It's like, very different, right? Like, like yeah. here's the thing. Like it's completely different sets, completely different actors. Mm. So the thing about a TV shows that you can reuse a lot of stuff, right? Right. And but but, but what, like, what separates this from like an anthology TV show? Right. You know what I mean? Not like much. it's not much, right? Yeah. Not so yeah. fascinating, fascinating. But anyway, the fear street Chil- trilogy Mm-hmm. is airing each week right now on Netflix. These were supposed to be in theaters, by the way. Like, the original yeah. plan was, like, I think one a month over a summer at one point. Right. Yeah. I've actually been wondering, too. I think I mentioned this in my review of the first part. I wonder if it is Netflix sort of testing the weekly release model mm-hmm. and using mm-hmm. these movies as a sort of test for that just because it seems to create more of a conversation. I don't know that that's true, but that's just been something you know, that I've wondered <laughs> as I've yeah, been watching yeah. it. Yeah. Give me more weekly releases. I love yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Lindsay Romain, what else have you been watching this week? I also had a chance to check out the new Gossip Girl TV show, which is on uh, HBO Max. Um, I was not actually, I, I love teen shows. Even now that I'm in my thirties, I still like watch Riverdale and stuff. Um, <laughs> but I was not somebody who ever watched the original Gossip Girl. I did, did read the books I think when I was younger. Um, but so I, I don't have a ton of familiarity with this other than just sort of what I've picked up through the zeitgeist. So I kind of went in with not too many expectations, except for I heard that there was some kind of twist um, to, you know, the original format of how things went. And yeah, I don't know that I loved the pilot, <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely intrigued. Um, I remember that or from what I saw online, uh, even not on Twitter, I do pick up some, things here and there but um i did see that there was some sort of controversy that the embargo for this one wouldn't let people talk about the plot literally like at all which actually kind of got me intrigued so yeah there's a there's an interesting twist on the original format if you watched it um and 
And yeah, I think the but can only you, thing. Can you just like frame what is Gossip Girl? Yeah, like just, yeah. What is the context <laughs> what is of it? Because I know, I know there is like there there's a person who seems to know things, and the the secret of the show was like who that person was. Right? She might Until pass the on this thing in the form of gossip. Right. She may be a right. girl. Is what I've been exactly, told. exactly. Maybe, many girls. Maybe, apparently. maybe yeah. not. Uh, if if you've seen the original, maybe not. But um, I, it's sort of uh, it's set in this like prep school in New York city, the original and the new version. Um, and the original one, it was, you know, these sort of very extravagant, uh, mean teens and these sort of cliques who were just constantly going at one another. And the premise sort of was that someone was anonymously watching them and posting sort of gossip, like blind items about them, um, online. And that was gossip girl. Um, in this new one, I will not spoil it, but that sort of flipped a little bit. There's a little bit more mm-hmm. to the framing well, there's, and everything. That was like pre-social media too, right? So it's like it's yeah, different now. Yeah, but it's definitely pre like Twitter mm-hmm. and such being being really huge. And so yeah, the new one exists. It's a sequel to the original. So it's you know, those characters still exist in this world. They're not actual like, you know, it's not Blake Lively <laughs> coming back, but it's um it, there's still characters that exist. And so yeah, it's set like about a decade later and yeah, it's now it really utilizes the social media, the Instagram. There's a lot of sort of funny quips and stuff. A lot of a lot of like pop culture references, maybe a little too much. I feel like it's leaning on that so far. But yeah, it's an interesting premise. Um, it's a little clunky in terms of some of the writing, but I think I'm going to stick with it. There's only one episode out so far. Sort of the most um, upsetting thing for me is that the teacher characters are sort of big characters in this version. And I Googled some of them and I am older than most of them, which... <laughs> That's... Never, never Google. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Tavi Gevinson, uh, who started as a fashion blogger and has become an actress, she plays one of the teachers and she's like, you know, 27 or something. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I, spend a lot of time on t- I spend a lot of time on TikTok now. I saw a TikTok yeah. recently that was like, like, remember when we were growing up and how people would talk about the 60s? Yeah. That's basically what people think of the 90s now. The, like 90s I can yeah. understand I yeah. see kids doing this about the 2000s and I'm like my <laughs> god I saw a TikTok today about Y2K fashion which yeah, is not a thing yeah. I knew existed oh, yeah. um, there's no yeah. such thing as Y2K yeah. Well, I, I guess it's like blue shell IMAX is exactly a, right, it is, right. uh, it's vaporwave fashion Basically, yeah. I just I just had the fun experience of uh, describing vaporwave to Leo Laporte, and that was a huge like generational <laughs> shock to him. Well, I just I read a tweet. Somebody said that we are at this moment as far away from 1990 yes. as that 70s show was away from 1970. When it and the same, like mm. it was the same with like the Wonder Years too. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. that difference keeps happening. Yeah. Uh, before we leave this topic, Lindsay, did you watch Euphoria? And how does yes. Gossip Girl compare to Euphoria? Because t- I love that show. Just yeah. because it's so big and operatic, and I don't think Gossip Girl is really doing that. <laughs> no, I would say Gossip Girl falls a little bit more into the sort of CW type uh, show, maybe a little elevated because it's on HBO, so they can like mm. swear and stuff. But no, it's it's nothing like Euphoria. I love Euphoria; it's one of my very favorite shows. That one is definitely operating on a different level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, People, everybody, watch Euphoria. Do not uh, yes. judge Sam Levinson entirely on uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, what was the movie. The Marie movie. Malcolm and Marie. Malcolm and Marie. Yeah. That, that was him at his worst. Uh, Euphoria is him at his best. Yeah, Euphoria is amazing. I've done, I've written about that one quite a bit too. It's a very, very beautiful show. Um, yeah, but it's, that one's not teen show. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way that you would think when you think of that. It's, it's the teen genre. show that every parent watches and just like, I don't 
how do I keep my kid from experiencing any of this? Because right. it's horrifying. Right. Yeah. There's a little bit of that with Gossip Girl. And that's how I know I'm getting old is that I'm like worried for the teens. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think I'll keep checking it out. Um, it's got an interesting premise. And some of the dialogue is a little overdone, but still kind of fun. So I think it has room to grow. And I'm going to keep checking it out. All right. That's the Gossip Girl reboot. And it's on HBO Max right now. That's what Lindsay Romain's been watching. Jeff Kanata, hit us with what you've been watching. Well, I did get a chance to watch all of season two of I Think You Should Leave. Same. Yes. Same. Yep. Yeah. And I watched it in one sitting. Uh, <laughs> wow. Not a huge accomplishment. 15-minute episodes, only six of them. But still, I uh, didn't want to turn it off because it's friggin' hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, You know, it's, it's so good. It's so funny. There is my only tiny criticism is that there are a number of sketches too many in my opinion that rely on just shouting as being the funny thing uh yeah. that's like why they're shouting and the yeah. reaction of everybody else which is what gets me mostly oh, yeah. mostly the the show has great clever funny ideas but every now and again there's just a there's a sketch where it's the the, the idea is just i'm shouting now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's my only my only tiny critique but well worth watching so so funny yeah. and the thing I love most about this show is that it uses its budget really smartly. <laughs> and I'll give a slight, slightly spoilery mm-hmm. uh, example. So mm-hmm. if you don't want to be spoiled for anything from I Think You Should Leave Season 2, skip forward leave. 20. Yeah. yeah, I think you should leave for 20 seconds. Perhaps you should leave, yes. Um, but there is a, a sketch in the very first episode that is one of my favorite sketches of the entire show called coffin flop (laughs) Uh Uh like i hurt myself laughing and the the premise is that there was a a reality show of just watching when (laughs) coffins fail and corpses flop out of them yeah like coffins fall apart and then the corpses fall out yeah yeah, the bottom mechanism yeah yeah, falls out of a a, a coffin and and naked (laughs) bodies flop out dead real dead bodies so that the premise is that this was a reality show that didn't do well or yeah. was sued. No, it was yeah. doing well. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. The the point is that <laughs> the that the, the that's a funny premise. Like that's already funny and they mm-hmm. show you a clip from it of a corpse falling out of a coffin and right. it's very funny. Yep. Yep. And then they show you two dozen more times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're all every, different. Everyone yeah. is different. Everyone is a different coffin, a different corpse, a different place, a different group of extras that are ho- hoisting the co- it is they set up and shot two dozen instances of this mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a massive expense for a a comedy sketch show and they're just for these like 3 second clips to punctuate the gag but the number of them it it, it gets funnier and funnier and funnier because they keep showing and it's not showing the same clip over it's showing a different one and a different one and a different one and the fact that they just knowing that they did this that many times <laughs> makes it so much funnier in my opinion um, yeah I, I would agree completely and a great great call i was amazed at how many of those because they didn't just, have to do it that many times it right? keeps yeah. going you just like they yeah. kept doing this and yeah, I mean, it's very conscious. Like, that's the gag at a certain yeah. point is like, look how many times we did this. I, I think that's a sign of just how dense this show is, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, the episodes are super short. The season is super short. But I'm already on my third rewatch. You know, like, this is yeah. how this thing becomes meme material. Because totally. the coffin flap thing, like, and the the framing of it is it's one of those messages 
of you know uh, somebody saying this this network is trying to take away your TV shows um, from yeah. your cable provider. Uh, it's one of those that gets uh, increasingly more insane too. So it's like, man, they're they're one two punches of what makes those things funny is uh, is just phenomenal this yeah. season. And there's sketch after sketch after sketch that's that's memorable and clever and smart and funny. Uh, so I think you should leave season two. I will you know agree with everybody <laughs> here and say. If you're looking for something funny, yeah. you you could do a lot worse. Also, I, I think there's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so at Vulture.com, there was a, uh, a profile of Tim Robinson, and the title of the profile is "Tim Robinson is sorry for yelling," which I thought <laughs> kind of speaks to that. And like one of the directors of the show says. Uh, quote, we didn't realize until shooting the first season that if Tim is making a big scene in front of a crowd and we don't show them responding, then he just feels so bad yelling at people. Uh, And he said they figured out that what Robinson needs to feel better is scenes of the crowd reacting to see both the hot dog guy and the people around him groaning in disbelief. He needs the push and pull between the transgressor and the onlookers. When you can see that tension, says Cannon, he's like, this is okay. I'm not just yelling at these people who have to stand here and take it. I'm actually the one in trouble, end quote. So mm. anyway, yeah, that's yeah. just some of his kind of like I, rationale I around it. But yeah, go ahead. That experience is also like reflected in a in a sketch this season too, I think. Like the mall one. Yeah. It feels like yeah. exactly oh, dude, that. That one, yeah. that one, that might be my favorite sketch in the entire <laughs> season. It, it is so fucking funny. <laughs> the way he, like, I don't even want to spoil a yeah. second of it, but yeah. it's, you know, it's it's a take on these like, you know, uh, undercover boss type shows. And it is so, so fun. Like, I was like, my wife thought I, she was like, are you breathing? You can't breathe. I was like, you're so funny. And I was on the, on the floor, like holding my side. It just, it, it mounts and it mounts and it mounts and it, oh God. Yeah. I want to shout out, like we can, we can dive deeper into what makes the season work, but I do love, there is like a distinct element of sadness within so many of these characters where it's like, yeah, they're shouting. It's usually Tim Robinson shouting, but it's usually because he's, he's just playing a toddler. He's a toddler in an adult man's body. And if you ever deal with a toddler, especially like I'm thinking of like the, uh, um, the burger stealing one, um, it's, it's all, it's dealing with adults who act like immature toddlers and also often feel bad about it because they know they cannot fit into a functional society. So they're outcasts. You know, like the the framing of so many of these is just like they just want to be normal, but they can't because uh, because they're broken inside. That burger Um, stealing one, too, is I like had the experience of like, I wish I'd ordered that. (laughs) Wish I'd ordered that one. Some of them are so like they're relatable, right? Like we we all have had that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, that's I think you should leave season two on Netflix right now. Jeff Canato, what else are you watching? I checked out a a movie that uh, it seems so weirdly made for me. A video uh, game movie. Yeah. Not just any video game movie, Devendra. An obs- a movie based on an obscure <laughs> VR game from 2016. Yeah, I barely remember this VR game. Yeah. Uh, I remember it well. I, I visited Red Storm, uh, the developer uh, in North Carolina <laughs> oh in 2015 <laughs> to see it. Yes. Uh, and was so what you're saying away. is you should you should have been in this movie, Jeff. I wish, I yeah. wish. Uh, <laughs> oh my werewolves God, yeah. within the VR video game, a uh, very good. Can't imagine it made a, it sold enough copies to justify a film version. But here we are. <laughs> There's a film version. Um, 
it is just it's so weird that ip the way ip works in hollywood like it does it does it, as long as it was something else it kind of doesn't even matter what the something else right. was yep. you know somebody's like okay well it's not i'm not betting on nothing at least someone has heard of this somewhere i think the best example of this is like the the guys who made skyline like made mm-hmm. a comic book version of it before they made the film so that they could make they could get financing for the film because it, yeah. was, it was based on a comic book it's people in hollywood have so little courage that they just need to know that it was something you know it was something <laughs> it was something. i'm not the person who's betting on it somebody else bet on it before me right and i now i can give you money to make the thing yeah. anyway uh i loved the video game it, it it is basically a vr version of a very common uh, tabletop party game called one night ultimate werewolf some people mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. played mafia or um werewolf or you know one night ultimate werewolf is a very particular kind of werewolf, but it's basically a game where you're sitting around with a bunch of friends and you all close your eyes and you pick a card and you're either a villager or you're a werewolf. And then uh, you try to, all the villagers try to figure out who the werewolf is and the werewolf tries to remain uh, undetected. And then you go to bed and the werewolf can kill another, can kill somebody, right? The villagers get to decide who they're going to kill. And if they kill the werewolf, they vote to kill the werewolf. Then they win. And so it's like a, it's a party deduction social game where you're just talking about, you're talking amongst each other and you, it's, it's a game about lying to your friends basically. So no story. There's no narrative. There's no, nothing upon which to hang a film script. And yet here we are seeing a (laughs) film version of werewolves within. That is one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, This is great. Great fun. I am so glad I gave this movie an hour and 36 minutes of my time, and I urge everybody to do so. One of my favorite movies of all time is Clue, the Mm -hmm. movie. This has such Clue DNA vibes. Uh, It is is like doing a, a new version of Clue. It is a bunch of people in a house People, somebody starts dying and we got to figure out what's going on. And it, and to their credit, that's like the game, right? You got to figure out who's the werewolf. But this, this script is so much smarter than it has any right to be being based on a, a you know, a video game with no plot. Um, it, it's so clever. It's so funny. I'll give you a, an insight into the tone of this movie. It starts... The very, very first thing you see uh, when this movie starts, it, it, like a lot of movies, especially horror movies, it has a quote that comes up on the screen in text. Mm-hmm. And it's got this ominous music. And it's like, Jordan, Jordan. and the quote comes up one line at a time. Jordan, Jordan. And it shows you the quote. Jordan, Jordan. And you feel like, oh, this is a horror movie. It's about werewolves. Jordan. Jadam here, and the text slowly fades in, and it's white text against black, and it's so. And then the last line is the quote is by Mister Rogers, <laughs> and that's that's the tone of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. it, it is so in on the joke, and it's having so much fun. Um, it uh, Sam Richardson plays the lead, and he's great. This dude is in like everything right now. 
And he is he was in the Tomorrow st- War. Richard yes. Split in Veep is probably where yes. a lot of people know him from. Very talented he's guy. Yeah. A star. He's so mm-hmm. charming. So and great. I think you should leave. Like, yeah. yeah. In so many things. Yeah. He's in. About. I think you should leave. That's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Milana Weintraub. <laughs> uh, you know who she is, right? I, I butchered that. But he and she have such great chemistry in it. Uh, but it's full of of great actors that you recognize from other stuff. Um uh, cra- crashing the the like I guess remember did you guys watch that show yeah, on the HBO? Pete Holmes yeah that one yeah yeah the 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 guy that like gets with his ex wife and is just super nice to him all the time yeah is yeah. in this um there's just a lot of really great um Guillermo from uh from um uh what we do in the shadows oh TV yeah I'm show. sold. Yeah. is in this. Uh, this is from the director Scare Me, too, so it's like this yes! guy's been on a Which roll. Yeah. The movie that I totally went gaga for uh, recently as well. It, this it, this is clever. It's funny. It's got something to say. Like, it actually has commentary about the world, and it becomes like this thing is, you know, it's constant. you're constantly trying to figure it out yourself and going, you know, are werewolves real in this movie? Or are they not? Like, what is, what's the, it, it's a great mystery Super funny, super fun, very clever, smartly written, great dialogue. I, I it's gonna. I would be shocked if it's not on my top ten of the year. I wow. love Werewolves Within. Yeah, I, I've heard it's great. Yeah, and the sh- the movie is Werewolves Within, and it's available for rent right now. Right, I assume that's how you watch. Yeah, it? it was six bucks on uh, on Amazon. Is how I saw it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, again, Werewolves Within. I'm looking forward to checking this one out, Jeff. Yeah, I think you'll like it, man. It's it's tons of fun. Yeah, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor. Blenders, a new sponsor, fresh from San Diego, California, comes Blenders Eyewear. I'm so excited to get these. I haven't gotten my pair yet, but I am so excited. These look so cool, and I'm sure you'll be just as hooked when you see how awesome these shades are. I, uh, I'm i getting prescription sunglasses from Blenders. So excited. There's so many cool styles to choose from. The Deep Space X2 the ones I'm getting. But there's so many cool ones. There's like really flashy. There's this aqua lounge that I was tempted to get. I just don't know if I can pull it off. I don't know if I can pull it off. Am I that cool? This place is super, super cool. And they're perfect to wear anytime driving uh, out and about in the sunshine, the some, some summertime. But also, Blenders has ski goggles. And you know I'm moving Colorado, so I'm I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be skiing on them slopes. I'm gonna get me some of them Blenders ski goggles. They look so cool. Chase Fisher started Blenders by selling his beachy shades out of a backpack while he was doubling as a surf instructor on Pacific Beach, and his goal was to create an adventurous mid-priced eyewear option with the same cool factor as the other leading styles. And unlike those expensive big brand shades that you've probably lost or smashed in the past, blenders are actually affordable. So you're not going to cry like I do when the inevitable losing of the sunglasses happens, right? In fact, they're so affordable, you can get multiple pairs, which is so nice. Not having to worry about these precious, crazy expensive sunglasses. Blender's team of in-house designers are constantly coming out with new styles from orange polarized wraparounds tortoise shell frames with purple lenses to classic gold arms and black lenses. It's you got to see the styles. It's it's super cool stuff. Like like I said, half of these things I can't even pull off. I'm not cool enough. And it's not just sunglasses. 
Blenders has prescription glasses, like I said, readers and blue lights, and their snow collection with goggles and accessories. I'm so cool. Uh, so, so excited about that. So cool. Live life in forward motion with Blenders today. To score 15% off your Blenders purchase, visit BlendersEyewear.com and enter promo code FilmCastVIP. That's BlendersEyewear.com. Code FilmCastVIP for 15% off. B-L-E-N-D-E-R-S-E-Y-E-W-E-A-R.com. Code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-V-I-P. 15% off. Blenders rocked with pride worldwide. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel, and that includes things like stress, anxiety, and pain. I've been using CBD for a while now when I'm feeling anxious or sleepless or just need a little help uh, just relaxing a bit, and I found Feels to be the best CBD company I've seen yet. It's a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD company that will help to clear your head and help you feel your best. It's delivered right to your door, and it's pretty hassle-free, too. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, pain, anxiety, and sleeplessness. The best thing is that there's no hangover or addiction. I found it really useful to take some CBD before, you know, a very stressful live show or something big happening with work. It just generally helps me relax a bit. You just have to place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel a difference in a few minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and you'll probably want to try out a few different doses. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your experience so that you can find the perfect dose. Basically, joining Feels monthly membership makes it easy to take care of yourself, and you'll save money in every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. All right, let's move on to what Devendra Hardware has been watching this week. Devendra, hit us. I want to just quickly talk about The White Lotus, which is the new Mike White show that's on HBO. It's been about 10 years since his last show on HBO was canceled far too soon, enlightened. Um, So this is him coming back at it. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I really like Mike White. I like things he writes. Um, he's been doing movies. He did uh, He did Brad's Status, which I haven't seen, and he wrote Pitch Perfect 3 and Beatrice at the Dinner. So he's had like a couple movies going on the last decade. This was a pandemic project, apparently, where HBO contacted him and was just like, hey, we, we got to have something for the schedule. Um, <laughs> and he came up with this idea because apparently he spends like half a year on Hawaii as like his writer's retreat place. Um, he came up with the idea of just setting a show in a single place, and that is a fancy resort uh, in Hawaii called The White Lotus. And the show is about um, VIP people who go there um, to be treated very nicely, and it's about the staff and how they react to them. It's really about that that inequality, right? That, that tension between the usually wealthy people who go to these uh, resorts and um, often act like babies or act like immature adults and how the staff has to deal with them and also treat them like babies and children and just like try to try to keep everything in balance. And that is the show so far. Um, It is kind of a comedy, but I also think um, it's more of a dramedy, I guess Uh, in true HBO fashion, this series does open up with a dead body 
and we don't know who that dead body belongs to. Um, so it's like, it's almost like they're trying to do a bit of the like little white lies thing too. Um, but yeah, it's with Mike White's uh, vision. And I think he does a great job of writing very human characters, often very flawed characters, but people who have either skewed worldviews and you get to like zone in on like what makes them tick a little. I've only seen one episode of this so far, but I think I'm going to keep watching. It's it's only going to be six episodes. It's got a great cast. Uh, Connie Britton's in this. Uh, Steve Zahn, who plays uh, her husband, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario. Um, generally all, you know, wealthy people, but in different ways. Like Connie Britton is this uh, tech executive, a marketing executive, I believe. And Steve Zahn is um, her, her husband who's worried he has cancer of some kind. And there, there are some mean teens here too. So I think you'll enjoy that, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this whole thing sounds deeply up it my is, alley. <laughs> it is very much like watching people go to this island, just kind of lose themselves. Like they can't tell what day of the week it is anymore. They just like kind of, it, it is like you see how people just get very petty in these situations. I've never been to a resort like this. Um, <laughs> I've not been to Hawaii, but uh, from what I gather, th th this feels very realistic. Um, I guess like I, I did like one like hotel thing for my honeymoon, but it was certainly not this elaborate. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful show. Great cast. And I think uh, I'm really interested in where it's going because it's Mike White and I generally I can trust him. So if you like any of these people, um, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Uh, also, if you want to see another one of the Internet's favorite uh, boyfriends, Jake Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> who typically plays nice guys, uh, he plays an utter asshole in the show. Oh, it's nice. kind of fun to watch him be the bad guy for once, or at least a uh, just kind of a prick. I don't know yep. if necessarily he's a bad guy, but he's he's not nice. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. And yeah, good job, HBO, planning uh, <laughs> ways to fill their programming gaps, right? Because it, it always seems like there's something to watch every couple of weeks once a, once a show ends. So yeah. Good for them. Yeah, that one flew under my radar, but I'm yeah, a huge too. Enlightened <laughs> fan, so I need to mm -hmm. check this out. Yeah. Yep. I, I was reading Willa Paskin's review of this at Slate.com. She was not as much of a fan of you, Devendra, as you were. Um, it's kind of mixed. She, she writes, yeah. uh, The White Lotus Paradise is a dead end for HBO. Maybe that's enough shows about soulless, wealthy white people for now. <laughs> uh, and she lists like Succession, Big Little Lies, The Undoing, Gossip oh, Girl, and Made for I, Love. I agree. As yeah. all being shows about extremely rich white people who are terrible uh, and that maybe the, the genre is a little bit oversaturated. So I'm curious to see mm -hmm. if uh, a show like this can uh, add something to the conversation. You, you don't yeah. always get to see the people who are like having to deal with their demands. I mm -hmm. think so. I've mm -hmm. only seen one episode there, you know, this show goes into like, you know, the people who serve all these rich people are usually uh, natives of Hawaii. Um, people who are not making nearly as much money. Um, so there's a huge disparity there. I think the comedy is in like seeing how these people treat uh, the help basically. And we do get some perspectives from the people who are actually servicing them. So yeah, I don't know. I've only seen an episode. I'm intrigued. I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world so far, but uh, it's Mike White. Like I give him a shot. I give him a couple episodes to get going. All right, it's The White Lotus. It's on HBO Max right now. I tell you what, I'm excited that Succession Season 3 is going to be yes. better than yes. the teaser. <laughs> Succession oh, Season 3 teaser was released this week. And Jeff, do you watch teasers? I don't, no, like, but no, I'm okay. super no. excited about the you're date. Feeling, you're feeling the energy, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, disturbance every, in the forest as we watch that there's teaser. There's a date. I know. Is, date? is there a date? I don't think so, Jeff. I think no, it's said. just like later this fall. It's, they said this, this fall. fall. So oh, yeah. it's not, I thought it was... Uh, 
Tell, it's in September. If you can find the date, great, but I don't think there was a date. <laughs> oh, um, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I watched that trailer like six times. I know. Me, I same so same thing. I, yeah. I sent it to a few people and like, everyone watched it. It, it made like, me feel things yeah. in yeah. ways. Yeah. Everyone's like, this makes me so happy. I know. Um, so I've missed, missed yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Um, so anyway, let's talk about what I've been watching this week. Um, I want to just mention a couple things. First of all, I don't know if you guys use Amazon. I use Amazon.com. It's uh-huh. a sh- online e-commerce website. Um, yeah. What? And they have it's this not, thing. I thought it was the the place where the, they make <laughs> spaceships mm. to send billionaires into space. They have this thing called Amazon Day where you can order packages throughout the week and they all show up on one day so you don't need to like deal with like you know it's like saves on packaging you get them all in one box and sometimes I'll just like order a bunch of stuff and I won't even remember that I ordered it like I'll you know I don't know if you guys ever order things like late at night or early in the morning yeah 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 you know the the regret orders I I don't know about regret but I'm just like I'm ordering things that I wouldn't if I had my full faculties just a capitalism (laughs) orgy Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. And uh, I happened to order like a bunch of Criterion Blu-rays this week. Uh, like I didn't even, I honestly didn't even remember that I ordered them until they showed up. <laughs> and uh, one of them was three films uh, with uh, Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn, <gasps> uh, the yes. Criterion disc, one of which is My Dinner with Andre. Now I had- Which is my favorite movie of all time, Dave. Yeah. You know that, right? I am aware of that. I actually- <laughs> Wrote a review about this movie on Letterboxd, and somebody commented, this is Jeff Kanata's favorite movie of all time. So <laughs> I was reminded of this fact. And uh, I had never watched the whole movie the whole way through. I'd watched like portions of it. I watched parodies of it. You know, I'd never watched the whole thing. So I decided to sit down and watch the whole thing. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. It is basically the OG two-hour rambling film podcast. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. If, if yeah. that if people wanted to make this thing today, it would be like, oh, just make a film podcast. <laughs> they, they wouldn't. My dinner with Andre would not exist if uh, if they tried to make it today. Um, but except, except, you know how it was made, right? I uh, yes. I well, first of all, let me Writ- just say, written and rehearsed, and it was not. It's not a. It's not a podcast. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of my favorite things about ordering a physical Criterion copy is watching a movie on Blu-ray in what you know is the best quality possible at this point in time, and then sitting and reading the like little essay in the booklet, you know, afterwards. Like they always get like great people to write those essays. And uh, it's just it's just a lovely experience. You know, it tells you about like how they made the film and like all the the cultural significance of the film and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, apparently they uh, uh, Wallace Shawn I think like recorded a bunch of conversations they had and then kind of transcribed it into a uh, like put it into a script structure uh, and then it had like framed it with this dinner uh, like like uh, bookend. Uh, and they mechanic. did it over and over and over and over. It's yeah. like. It's crazy that the, what they did to make it. It's wild. I quite enjoyed the movie. I think like it's a very interesting movie because of uh, there's two things that are interesting about the movie, right? One is the the actual stuff that is being said by the two characters, which is very thought provoking, and then there is how that stuff impacts the relationship between the characters and how it impacts like the way in which they interact with each other. And uh, I, I have a little bit more to say about that, but Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for a minute or two if you want to share like why this is your favorite movie of all time. 
I mean, I, I have seen this movie many, many times. Um, and I always get something else out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it is, it is about all the things that I care most about. Uh, it is about art and creation and living and what our purpose is and, um, how to feel about the world and how to place yourself in it. And for many, many years when I watched it, um, in, in my younger days, I related to the Wallace Shawn character and I saw the, the conversation through the Wallace Shawn character's eyes. And then at a certain point when I got older and watched it, I started relating more with the Andre Gregory character and, uh, understanding his sort of older perspective on, and it really is this clash of like a young artist and an older artist and, their two approaches to living and life and Andre Gregory's description of the sort of experimentation he did in the name of creativity is so captivating and romantic. Um, I just, I just love, I love the conversation. I love the, the content. I love the fact that the movie only, only interacts with you on its own terms, right? It's not going to make any concessions to you. Um, which is very hallmark of Wallace Shawn's entire writing career. Like all his stuff is very, very um, <laughs> almost hard to, it, 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 it doesn't care about the viewer at all. It is, it is very true to itself. Um, yeah. And I, for a long time I had the, uh, the DVD of this, which was discontinued. And for a while it was like worth over a hundred dollars. And I was like, Oh wow, I got this like rare. And then criterion came out with that. And it's just kind of like, well, <laughs> no one wants the DVD anymore. Um, the, yeah. And I have the, the criterion of this as well, but is this, is this three pack? Like, is it a different, does it have more stuff? Than no, that? I think it's the same. It's the okay. same disc. Yeah. But, but it comes with uncle Vanya and something else, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me, have you watched uncle Vanya? I have not. Oh, dude, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm looking it's forward so to checking great. it out. It's so great. My, my yeah. dinner with Andre, Vanya on 42nd Street and A yeah. Master Builder. Those are the three films that are in Yeah, the Vanya on 42nd Street, pardon me for saying the wrong title. Vanya on 42nd Street is, is a production of Uncle Vanya and the people doing a production of Uncle Vanya at the same time. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. It's so good. Well, uh... I, I got a lot out of it too. And I think that the thing that really struck me as I was watching the movie this time around was um, about like, what does it mean to truly live? Right? Like the, the example yeah. he gave that was very uh, vivid was like, there's a, he talked about this dude. I don't remember if he was like a Tibetan monk or a scholar or whatever, who like, who like tries to, if he's right-handed, he tries to use his left hand yeah. to do everything. Yeah. And the, the idea being that like, so many of us like kind of enter this kind of trance-like state where we go through our lives and our routines unthinkingly. Yeah. You just and, accept what is presented to you. Right. Without, right. And, yeah. and we don't experience anything like, right. like when you, we eat food, we are, we're not sitting there and thinking about the food and tasting it. For, for instance, we're just eating the food for sustenance. And I just feel like a lot of the stuff in the movie, you know, it's, two old dudes kind of complaining about things. Um, and so on the one hand, uh, there's always going to be like people like that who are like, 
there's no country for old men anymore. You know, like that's that's <laughs> always going to be true. But on the other hand, I felt like a lot of what they said is extremely relevant for our lives today, and in particular, coming out of this pandemic. You know, if we're lucky enough to be in, in, a, in an area that's coming out of the pandemic, it's very um, striking. Uh, how what they're talking about applies to what our lives have been like over the course of the last couple of years when many of us have felt like time has moved in an extremely weird way and it's hard to break out of our routines. So I found a lot of the movie to be strikingly relevant and uh, I, don't, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think this is a movie that's for everyone and I'm just going to say, uh, to be brutally honest, it was difficult for me to focus on the movie. Like I actually mm. had to challenge myself. I was like, I'm going to put down the phone and I'm just going to like stare at the TV screen and you're just staring at a guy talking for, uh, you know, for much of the first like 20 minutes is just one guy just talking to his friend, almost monologue like, yeah. and it's, it was difficult. It was difficult, but, um, it was rewarding and I still ultimately recommend the film. Uh, so the movie, and I, basically I'm saying TV and the internet and TikTok and YouTube have rotted my brain is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which I mean, is also part of the message of the movie. So it's, it's so, <laughs> it's so, you know, it was what, 1981, I believe it was made or it was released 80 or 81. Um, yes. So, 81. you know, yep. it predates all of that stuff. And, and I think even at that time was challenging for a lot of viewers. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I I adore it, and I'm I'm super glad that you sat down and finally watched the whole thing uh, and, and got something out of it. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you enjoy it. It's my dinner with Andre. It's in the Criterion Collection. In the Slash Filmcast After Dark last week, we talked about Jackie Chan movies, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go revisit a bunch of Jackie Chan movies, and in doing so, I discovered shockingly few Jackie Chan movies are available to stream online. Yeah, um, that are that are widely regarded as some of his best movies. Is the number three movie of all time, the tuxedo available? Uh, number two, according oh, to me. according to a previous list that was on the internet. Um, but uh, I think the tuxedo is available, Jeffrey. So that one is go. safe. There that you one go. Is safe. That's all you need. Number two. That's all you need. Uh, so I actually purchased a Blu-ray of Mr. Nice Guy, uh, which you can stream, but the Blu-ray is the original director's cut that I think uh, Warner Brothers Archive put out. Ah. Warner Brothers basically happened into a lot of rights. Um, they're also behind the Drunken Master 2 Blu-ray that Devendra recently purchased mm -hmm. for me. And these are great Blu-rays. Like, these are, like, extremely, like, shockingly high-quality Blu-rays in terms of video quality and the fact that they basically have the original version of this film uh, and not the American version that, um, you know, like was the American edit. And so Mr. Nice Guy is not a very good movie. <laughs> Let me just put that out. Um, the yeah. acting is terrible. The plot is ludicrous. The, the script is bad. I mean, Jackie Chan plays a TV chef and <laughs> he gets embroiled in this gang war. As you um, do. And and you there know? is absolutely no explanation for why he can do martial arts. Like there's no because <laughs> he's they, Jackie Chan. They duh. do not explain like oh he used to be ex special forces or whatever. He just he just happens to be able to fight people like uh, you know on mass. And uh, so the the movie is awful. However, in yeah, terms of fight scenes, how the fight yes, scenes, the the stunts and the uh, fight scenes are top tier Jackie Chan. Yeah. So the, these are some matters. of the best Jackie Chan fight scenes and stunts ever. 
Um, and I think it takes place in Sydney, if I'm not, if I recall correctly. And it, it makes great use of that environment, so it's really enjoyable. Uh, again, the movie is Mr. Nice Guy. You can actually stream this one. I'd recommend the Blu-ray, which is apparently made from a 4K scan of the movie. Is that uh, the one where he slides great. down that really steep building at the? Uh, or am I mixing that up? He slides down extremely steep stuff in in the movie. <laughs> I don't know if it was a building. Okay. Uh, but there's some really incredible sequences that I actually recommend it. The other thing I recommend is there is a movie that actually, like, this actually does make me kind of mad, is uh, it's called Miracles. It came out in the U.S. as Miracles, uh, a.k.a. Black Dragons, I think is the new title. Uh, and so I bought the DVD on on Amazon, and the DVD showed up, and it's fine, but the transfer looks like complete garbage. It, it looks terrible, uh, and in order to see it in high quality, there's actually a region two, like in London, in the UK, you can get it. It's called Miracles: The Canton Godfather, and you can watch scenes that have been ripped online from Miracles: The Canton Godfather Blu-ray, which apparently looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Miracles DVD in the US looks terrible. However, it has some of the best Jackie Chan action scenes ever made. Um, <laughs> so that's another movie I watched recently, yeah. and I'm gonna. I've con- never yeah. seen that movie, but I've always seen clips of it, and everything looks. It's insane. so it, like the action yeah. scenes are just next level good. They are so good. Uh, and so anyway, I just want like it reinforces to me the fact that like we need to like th- there's importance in owning physical media, especially mm-hmm. for some of these obscure movies, because if you don't own the physical media, like. They may like you can't stream this movie anymore, right? You cannot stream Miracles anywhere right now in high quality. And so, uh, I'm kind of just like amassing like all these John Woo and Jackie Chan movies as rapidly as possible, yeah, because it's like you never know when you're never gonna be able to watch them again. So, it's also it's not as simple as just getting the physical media because there there is stuff popping up on digital. I I was talking with folks on this about uh, about this on Twitter. There's a 4K cut of A Better Tomorrow that is on iTunes. And it has the original, uh, like it has Uh enhanced sound effects, but it has the original soundtrack. And the soundtrack has been like the the problem in DVD releases and stuff. I think at one point I had a DVD that had like the soundtrack from Speed uh, against The Better Tomorrow. (laughs) And it was a nightmare. But yeah, you can buy this thing now on iTunes. So it's like there's good stuff popping up. It's hard to tell where it is. Yeah, it's it's just very inconsistent. Basically, you can't can't rely on it is what I'm saying. You can't trust that it's always going to be available or it ever will be available, which is a huge bummer. So anyway, uh, those are the movies I've been watching this week. I'm probably going to continue like kind of this Jackie Chan rewatch, but the movies I watched this week are Mr. Nice Guy and Miracles, uh, a.k.a. Miracles, the Canton Godfather. This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. I'm telling you, there is nothing like this. This is the best of the best. A cinephile's dream. Movies that I'm sure, no ma- I know our audience. And I know you all know movies. There are movies here you don't know, but you should. This is a an absolute treasure trove of stuff from every decade, uh, organized in really interesting ways. A new movie every single day, but then there's also 
Cannes Film Festival movies from uh, uh, many, many years. Documentaries, modern masterpieces, uh, women with movie cameras is an entire topic. This is a phenomenal curated list of some of movies that you need to know. These are movies you need to know. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmcast. That's M-U-B, like boy, I, dot com slash Filmcast. You get a whole month of great cinema for free. There's an entire section of just shorts. Where else can you find incredible shorts like Meeting the Man, James Baldwin in Paris, or... Uh, a movie, a, a short called The Recorder Exam, which is made in South Korea in 2011. There's even a Popeye the Sailor Man meets Sinbad the Sailor short from David Fleischer in 1936. It's such a, an eclectic, interesting mix of movies. You got to check this out. Movie.com slash filmcast. Check it out. You're going to like it. All right, let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something that we helped make or have been in. Uh, this week, I want to just give a weekly plug to uh, one of my other podcasts, Culturally Relevant. Uh, I've been doing these things that I've been referring to as the coronavirus diaries, where I've been kind of chronicling what it's been like to live in Seattle, which has been... An interesting city to live in, given that it was one of the places where the first reported outbreak of coronavirus happened, and um, we were one of the first cities to reach 70% first-dose vaccination in the country, and it's just been a very interesting year to be living here, and I've been documenting it on Culturally Relevant. This week, we released a new episode talking about what it's like now. Um, if you're enjoying, if you enjoy kind of the little hangouts that we do here on the podcast on the after dark and stuff like that. I think you'll really enjoy culturally relevant, the podcast, check it out. Uh, Lindsay Romaine, you want to tell us your weekly plug? Yeah. Mine, um, appropriately enough is, uh, my review of black widow for nerdist. Um, yeah, it's, I, it came up when this was a movie, you know, embargo was up and it is on the site now to read. And I'm sure we will dig into a lot of my thoughts, but if you uh, care to read more, uh, you can head over to Nerdist. If you're like, I've, I've heard enough. I want to read the <laughs> review instead of just listening, you know, the next 20 minutes, uh, then check out Lindsay's Nerdist review, but you really should check it out. I'm, I'm being facetious, but you really should check it out. <laughs> Devendra Hardwar, your weekly plug. Oh, yeah. I was on uh, this week's episode of This Week in Tech, uh, episode 831, Do You Even Rocket, Bro? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a title from something I said during the show, too. So that, that's Wow, fun. you were uh, you I was, made the title. Made you know. the title. You, that's your goal, right? If you're on a show that takes uh, quotes as titles, you, you want to hit that. Uh, <laughs> but I was on with Christina Warren and Larry Maggot, and we had great conversations about, uh, yeah, the, the SpaceX launch. Um, you know, just lots of the latest news, a lot of different things. I always love this week in tech and I was chatting with Leo Laporte and everybody said, go check that out. I listened to that whole episode and uh, you were fantastic as usual, oh, Devendra. And, uh, it sent me down a spiral of worrying about climate change. Oh, is that why? So yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw your tweet today, Jeff. And, uh, yeah, maybe don't read the book. I, I <laughs> yeah. shouted which, out which because book it is out, depressing. I also sh I shouted out, um, the ministry of the future, the latest book by, um, Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson, who I love and I've read his work forever, but this book is like 
god damn he is just tired he is just angry at everybody for not listening to his predictions about climate change and all of his fiction and everything so it is like it is climate apocalypse and it's very you, realistic yeah have you heard of the uninhabitable earth by david yes. wallace wells yep i started reading it and it's like yeah I, I read like the intro basically and i'm like <laughs> he the guy drops like 500 statistics about how terrible life is going to be in the yeah. next, you know, 50 years in the yeah. first, like in the intro. And I'm like, I don't know if I can make it through this entire <laughs> the, book. the first chapter of the ministry of the future, like will gut you because it's so <laughs> brutal, but it's also like you look around at everything that's happening right now, the heat wave, you guys just lived through what's yeah. happening in India and Pakistan and all over the world, but especially India is going to be, yeah, it's going to be. It's torture. already too late. Yeah. It's already too late. And I, so it's I like, yeah, what, what do you do after making, that? Yeah. Making babies. Yeah. <laughs> She'd never have brought humans into this dying earth. And that, that is the, the theme of First Reformed, right? The yeah. movie. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. <laughs> what's, what's the point, Dave? What's the point? Uh, the dungeon run is back this week. We had a little uh, summer break. Uh, and it is back. Dungeon Run is my live play Dungeons and Dragons show, but it's so much more than that. It's it's really a storytelling, an epic fantasy story that you get to watch and participate in as a viewer as well. So much of the show is uh, viewer interaction, and there's been huge twists of fate that have been actually controlled by the fans, by the viewers of the show. Uh, and it's something I'm really proud of. And we stopped on a, a cool cliffhanger. You could jump right in on any episode. I write every week. I write a brand new recap for everything that you need to know to jump in. So fear not that it is uh, episode eighty-eight or whatever we're on. Uh, check it out on Twitch.tv/slash The Dungeon Run Wednesday nights, six PM Pacific time. Or you can check it out on YouTube. All the episodes are archived there. Or as an audio podcast, works great as an audio podcast. We do voices, we do sound effects, music, originally scored mu music uh, every single week. We have a whole music team that, that scores the show uh, live. So works great as an audio podcast as well. It's The Dungeon Run. Those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Black Widow. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're gonna wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. He's called Science Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated, fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. That was from the trailer for Black Widow, which is streaming right now on Disney Plus via Premiere Access. It's also in theaters right now. I'm going to read the plot summary from, uh, from the internet. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises, end quote. Oh, man, you always want to see someone confront their ledger. Indeed, it's a ledger that's so that's so good. Now, uh, before we get to uh, the movie itself, uh, I want to say a couple of quick things, uh, like framing the conversation. One is, 
that we're going to try to be as vague as possible during the review because I think the trailers gave away very, very little. They were extremely restrained uh, about what is actually going on in this movie. We, I will disclose when the movie takes place, though. So if you want to go in completely fresh, you don't know anything, just skip, you know, skip this review until you watch the movie and then, and then listen in. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of uh, the, the stuff we're going to give away before the spoiler section. The other thing I want to mention is that this movie made around $80 million at the box office, uh, which is the highest grossing film since Rise of Skywalker in 2019. And uh, it also, Disney Plus for the first time released premier access streaming numbers. Yeah, because they were like, holy shit, guys, you will not believe this. <laughs> so, uh, and which is, you know, it's a surprise because they don't have to do that, right? Like, they, they uh-huh, could just uh-huh. not tell anyone, right? It's and a flex. It, it makes, for a, makes for a much bigger number, though. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they disclose that it's $60 million of Disney Plus now. Now, uh, Disney pr- Plus Premier Access is in several dozen countries around the world. And that sixty million, I believe, is a worldwide number. So I don't think they broke it down into U.S. Mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. Still um, pretty good. It, it's yeah. pretty good. So that's basically what uh, two million people paid thirty dollars each for Premier mm-hmm. Access, right? Not shabby. Uh, not too shabby. I have a feeling that none of the other. What, what else did they do Premier Access for? Basically, Mulan. I have a feeling that. Cruella. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Cruella. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling right that Cruella and Mulan and right, did not yeah. do as well as Black Widow uh, because yep. they did not announce what those numbers were, <laughs> right? So I think this one is probably their strongest one. And also, they get to keep a huge portion of that mm-hmm. $60 million, right? Whereas yeah. the $80 million that is in theaters is much um, smaller percentage um, yeah. that they get to keep. So... I th- my surmise I-, I surmise I'm not sure right that them announcing the premier access is them basically saying this is a viable business model for us and we will probably continue to use it selectively mm-hmm. you know that's yep. my interpretation and I I, it's, I think uh, we'll see how it plays out but I would not be surprised to see more premier access in the future yeah um, when you're putting asses in seats and you don't have to pay for the seats because everybody's got them in their house it's not too shabby. Yeah. At the same time, though, right, the $80 million, even if a smaller portion goes to Disney, it still represents more people, right? Because uh, 80 is higher than 60, but also average price of a ticket is, is lower than Premier Access, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So more people watched it in theaters than watched it on Premier Access. Well, you can't say that because who knows how many people watched for each purchase at home. I don't think you're saying more. People, uh, yeah. Okay. You know? no, you're right. Okay. More tickets, I guess, were purchased, right? Than right. premier accesses but were I, purchased, I, right? Yeah. I would, I would venture to guess yes. that there are larger groups of people purchasing the premier access because that value proposition for a family that's all excited about Black Widow, right? Yep. Is is a better value proposition to stay home yep. and and watch it for thirty bucks? I would. If you've I got would two guess, kids. Yeah. It's a no brainer. Yes. Yeah. 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 Rather than theaters. Yeah. So uh, I would. I would. I would guess that there are. Those purchases represent more group per, per, mm-hmm. uh, viewings than not. You mean not everyone in the country watches movies alone at home, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, like, like me? us? Yeah. No, not everybody's <laughs> us. Um, but anyway, I just thought it's interesting that, like, you know, happy that the movie's doing well, happy that, like, people are going back to theaters because we want a vibrant film, 
you know, uh, theatrical film going industry. Like that, that yeah. is good for society, in my opinion. It's obviously good for the podcast. Uh, and so we want that to happen. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, Premier Access is a thing that Disney is, is now a tool that they can employ. Uh, and who knows if and when they're, they're going to employ it. Because, like, as far as I know, they haven't announced that, uh, like, Shang-Chi is going to be Premier Access or anything like that. Right. And m- maybe they will. Maybe they're going to be like, yeah, like, you know, Delta variant is too powerful and we're going to go, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? What's, also, what's a happen. new character, right? Like, they don't know how much people right. go out to see right, right. that. So, so, so who, know, who knows? But, like, I could see it happening. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll continue mm-hmm. to watch it very closely. So. Well, it's fascinating, too, because for so long, the film industry had sort of teased this idea of, oh, maybe we'll do this kind of premier pay-per-view model where big, you know, day one releases will be. And it took a global pandemic for them to actually do it. And it turns out, you know, it worked. It, you know, people like it and it, it can make a lot of money and it can work. So interesting. Uh, HBO max too, despite everything terrible that's gone on there completely blew up the window. You know, um, now there's, there is no window. No um, real premier access though for their stuff. It's just if you yeah, have, you just got to pay gotta. for for HBO Max. So yeah, I remember that before this. Uh, I remember this article at TheVerge.com from 2015, entitled "This Is How Rich People Watched Furious Seven Last Weekend." Do you, <laughs> you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Before the before the age of Disney premier access, there was this thing called Prima Cinema, uh, and it's basically a way for the super rich to watch movies. Yeah. You need to buy a $35,000 device <laughs> that sits inside your house. And then I think... It's basically the thing theaters use to get digital copies. Right, of right. Yeah. And uh, and then the movie itself is $500 each. Um, so you got, buy this $35,000 contraption and then you pay $500 uh, to watch the, the Neo Geo of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe maybe they're still using this thing, right? Maybe maybe when Shang Chi comes out, they're gonna break yeah. out the Prima Cinema box. They, they, um, maybe they get it. Like if they get everything, you know, like depends on the availability right, here. Yeah, but they, they probably know, can like, get everything. Although I have a feeling they <laughs> were not super happy. The person who bought this thing, you know, four <laughs> weeks before the pandemic, is probably not <laughs> super thrilled with that purchase. Um, I, <laughs> I want I want somebody to be using this thing to like. Beam it to their iPad, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to their iPhone. Actually, yeah. Just yeah. Like, mm, All bad. right. So to the movie Black Widow, uh, Lindsay Romaine, in your review of Black Widow, you called it one of the MCU's best standalone movies. So for you, this is top tier Marvel. Tell us more about that opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that title can uh, you can sort of take with you know. Take that as you may. Um, for me, I'm not the biggest MCU fan. Um, I watch all the movies. I consume the movies, but I wouldn't call myself a super fan. Um, in fact, I'm a little bit cynical sometimes of the Disney, you know, monoculture and all of that. But, you know, when I enter a movie like this, I try to review it as, you know, a standalone film or, you know, whatever film it is. I like to review it as a film and separate it from all of that. And so... Yeah, for me, watching this and trying not to sort of let that cynicism in, I was just judging it based on what it was presenting to me. And on, yeah, on that note, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I don't know that it's the most, it depends on, you know, how you're coming into this, um, maybe how tied you are to the character and to the world at large. But for me, as somebody who is sort of, you know, 
in it, but not necessarily obsessed with it. I found this to be a really enjoyable movie. I really loved the cast. Um, I really loved the tone that it set. I felt a little different to me than a lot of the Marvel stuff, especially of late. And yeah, I, I had a good time with it and I'm excited to watch it again and I'm excited to see how it sort of ages. But for now, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear. Devinder Hardor, what do you think of Black Widow? I'm pretty much right there. I, I had a ton of fun with this movie. Um, I thought it was pretty great overall, but yeah, that 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 last act, the final <laughs> bits, uh, it's like it cannot escape the, uh, I, I don't know, the vacuum, the black hole of being an MCU movie. So <laughs> yeah. uh, th- things do kind of fall apart there. But I think this movie starts really strong. I did not fully, like I've seen the trailers and stuff, I didn't expect it to be full on oh, this is The Americans meets Mission Impossible. <laughs> and they even got Lauren Balfe to do the score. So it sounds like Mission Impossible yeah. 2. Uh, the action, I think, is really well staged, at least early on. Uh, again, later on, it, it, it's a, a lot a of great hand-to-hand fighting in the Beautiful movie. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. And shot well and edited well, and I could see what's happening. Really mm. creative action. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, compared to what we get in most American movies, like we were just talking about, uh, what was it? Can't Daddy even remember Chan? the movie. Jackie yeah. Chan movies? <laughs> no, not Jackie. No, the other... Like, my Dinner with Andre? <laughs> yeah, My Dinner with Andre. The hand-to-hand combat fight yeah. scene in My Dinner with Andre. That no, was an American movie where they couldn't keep the uh, the camera cuts still. Oh, Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Oh, Compared okay. to like how Mortal Kombat did it, which was just like <laughs> every every half a second. Every we half a second. That, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like six weeks ago. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Devinder. Yes, I, I agree yeah, with yeah. you. I, I don't agree that the the hand-to-hand fighting is uniformly shot well, but I agree with you that it's choreographed well and it's interestingly It's choreographed staged, well and yeah. it's also like, I, th- I think you can actually see what's happening. They try to go for some of the boring, like shaky cam stuff and that doesn't always work. Um, but uh, overall, the early action is good, but then yeah, the stuff in the finale, you get big explosions, you get big bads. And uh, we'll talk about some stuff that happens to some major characters in this too. Like um, I, I have questions about <laughs> the, like how this movie reconciles, like with the, the morals of things people have done and kind of like how they have to pay for it in ways that just don't seem mm-hmm. quite fair. Yeah. I, um, I, I still, I like Scarlett Johansson as an action star, um, despite her like dumb comments around like diversity in movies and stuff. Um, and I think Florence Pugh makes a really good, uh, Scarlett Johansson 2.0 in terms <laughs> of like, she's, she is good with action. She's fun. She's funny. She has a lot of energy. Everybody like brings, I, I think everybody's like bringing something fun to this movie. David Harbor is a ton of fun. Rachel Vice, um, incredible. Uh, Ray Winstone's just there. Rachel Weiss, amazing. Uh, Ray Winstone is there. He showed up. <laughs> he showed up. Um, he had one scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I had fun with it. We'll talk about like what uh, kind of what doesn't work. And there's honestly even stuff early on where I was shocked, like how deep this movie was going in terms of like, oh, what what are you really about? Like uh, even the opening credit sequence, um, mm-hmm. there there's it's evoking human trafficking. It's evoking things that women are facing all around the world. And I think like it kind of, even just the narrative within that sequence, and we'll talk about what happens uh, in the first sequence and spoilers. um, But even just that, like kind of got me like this movie has a point of view and it really knows what it's trying to say. And it, you know, really touches on that several times throughout. And then it just ends in a big explosion because it's a Marvel movie. (laughs) Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on black widow. Well, Dave, I guess you could say, my thoughts on Black Widow are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Exciting. All right. 
Though I didn't see it projected, it's so funny and well-directed. I was thoroughly engrossed, and what I like most is it's different than what I expected. Interesting. <laughs> That's an intriguing... That asks a question, Jeff, which is, yeah. how was it different? Right? I would have told you that I could have predicted exactly how this movie would unfold yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. before yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah. Knowing I what thought, the MCU does, like you, you could like plot out what this movie would right, be. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And knowing the trope of the Russian super agent that is converted to, you know, the American side. And like, we've seen that movie a bunch of times. Yeah. And I thought we were going to get the MCU's version of it. And I thought I would enjoy the, the scale and spectacle that MCU brings to stuff. And I love Scarlett Johansson and I, I like these characters and I thought I would have fun with it, but I thought it would be a very conventional sort of origin story thing. And what this movie actually is, is so much more interesting than that has so much more life and personality and fun. It is hilarious and, and has a really, as, uh, as Lindsay was saying, a, a wonderful tone to it. That was completely unpredicted by me. Yep. <laughs> I did not see that coming at all um, and was delighted by it. I I totally agree uh, with Lindsay and Devendra that this, it, well, Lindsay said in her review, one of the best standalone Marvel movies. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I absolutely yeah, think yeah. it is. It is so great from top to bottom. I know you guys were saying some stuff about the the end. I, I don't have those problems. I'm a Marvel zombie from way back. I, I, I dig all that stuff. I love the overlap. I love seeing like obscure characters from a movie over here and a movie over there popping up and playing a role. It feels very much like comic books. Like, oh, we have we have a general that we can use. Let's just throw him in there. Um, An Oscar winning actor playing yeah, a general. Let's yeah, just right. throw him in. Throw That's him in. It's fine. Five it's minutes. So amazing. Um, and I I will go even farther uh, than you did, Devendra, in talking about Florence Pugh because she is fantastic in this movie so dry and and the delivery is so perfect and such a great foil for uh scarlett johansson in a number of scenes like there's some just wonderful like sitting across the table with each other uh scenes that sing that are lovely Mm -hmm. that that really work and and a a lot there's a lot of action in this movie almost all of it is great not just good, but great. So much of the movie is told through action. Uh, there are a number of great... I mean, I was sitting there thinking about this movie and going, there are people, <laughs> maybe one on this podcast, <laughs> that thinks that F9 is a better experience than this. Like, there's not a single action sequence in F9, in my opinion, that holds a candle to even the first action sequence in this movie. It's like not even in the same ballpark as quality, inventiveness, fun, realism, like all of the things I look for in a, in a great action sequence Black Widow brings to the table. It's so, so good. It's so much better than I expected this movie to be. It is really top tier MCU in my opinion. And, uh, I was, deli- you know, uh, happy to spend the 30 bucks to watch it at home. I thought I got my money's worth. It was great. Wow, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know about that yep, comparison. Here we go. Like, here we go, everybody. <laughs> no, no, no. First of all, let me just say yeah. I, I really enjoyed the movie. Like, I, I, I like the good, movie. Good, I, good. It's just more like 
the part about your own man saying, is just like the, really setting us up here. The part about <laughs> Jeff saying that like every action scene in this movie is better than Fast Nine. Like there is stuff in this movie that is arguably more preposterous than yeah. what is in F Nine, which is a absolutely high bar to reach. So. That's the only thing I take issue with. Uh, Would you, uh, but more, way more fun and not as laughable. Like it's preposterous, but in a you're in a comic book no, movie and I, not in a, a different. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd I, say. I, 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 dis- I disagree. Yeah, oh, let's not have this fight, Jeff. Yeah, let's um, talk about the happy movie that's making us all that we all like right now. But uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I think what's great about the movie. So um, I, I will say when the movie takes place. Okay, so if you think I've already warned you about that. But the movie takes place after the events of Civil War and before my, my wife had no idea what was happening. Right, and before <laughs> yeah. Infinity War, and I, I don't think it's actually very clear that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Well, it um, obviously is clear because she has one color hair, and she looks <laughs> at the the she looks at the dye of another color hair, which she has later in another film, and so yeah. obviously it places you between those two colors of her hair. It's so true. It's so true. Thank <laughs> you for that, Jeff. Um, but yeah, I think that. Uh, it, it takes place after Civil War, and let's just let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is that if this movie had come out before Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. I think it, it would have made. First of all, it would have actually made Avengers Endgame more awesome, yeah, uh, yeah. more meaningful. Because yeah. I think you know, uh, Disney Plus did a promotion when they launched Black Widow, and they're like, "Here is the Black Widow collection," right? And you swipe through the carousel, and it's like every single movie. It shows like Black Widow in that movie, right? So it's like Iron Man 2 and Captain America, you know, Winter Soldier and all, all these movies. And I'm sitting there scrolling through these things and I'm like, man, we learn very little about this character in most of these movies, right? Like some yeah. of them we learn a little bit more, but like yeah. we learn glancingly little about this character and it just would have meant so much to have this movie come out before Avengers Endgame. Yeah. She, and she was always just like the support. For all for all the big guys, right? You know? and right. Like there, there's the whole Age of Ultron thing too. There's a, we'll talk about this stuff in spoilers, but there's a quote from Age of Ultron, which I think sent shockwaves through the internet just because it used something that happened to her as basically character work for for the Hulk in a way. Right. Know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so this character has in in some ways been done a disservice to basically yeah. in in the MCU, and so to have. Uh, this movie that it doesn't actually, it's not actually an origin story. It actually, uh, well, it's somebody else's origin. story. Yeah. And it provides more context to who she is. I thought is very meaningful and it's just so weird that it's Mm -hmm. coming out now, you know, because it was going to come out after Endgame to begin with. And now it's like, you know, uh, we've already seen Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki and, uh, WandaVision already. And it's like, yeah. This just feels like another thing to the pile as opposed to like, oh, this really gives more depth to this character who honestly really deserved it before the events of Endgame. And also, let me just point out, I think she gets shafted in Endgame as well. You know, like, oh, yes, 100%. because of, yeah. uh, you know, the... The wrong Avenger died. How about that? <laughs> A, wrong kid died um, uh-huh. in, in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> but also, uh, the ending of Avengers Endgame, which I'm not going to spoil... You haven't seen Avengers Endgame, <laughs> but like they have this big funeral for Tony Stark, and it's like, oh, Natasha Romanoff, who? Natasha, who? 
She uh, even, <laughs> yeah, her body's just on an alien planet somewhere. <laughs> and even never more than it. even more than that, also spoiling end of Endgame. But um, you know, there's that big sort of battle at the end, and it's all the women coming together. There's like that kind of cheap moment where it like focuses on mm-hmm. all the women, and she's not a part of that. Oh. Like you know, it's <laughs> she could hear her like token, Jedi voice, you know, in the force or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's great because of how low stakes it is, mm-hmm. which is to say. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's 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 not it's not no stakes. There's like uh, the fate of Earth, uh, Earth's geopolitics is at stake in some ways, but it's not the universe is at stake, right? And I I, I enjoyed it because they have more time to focus on Black Widow's relationships with um, her family unit and things of that nature, and I think that's to the film's credit. And you guys have already talked about all the other stuff, so mm-hmm. uh, I had a good time with it, and I I think the fact that it's self-contained and low stakes is a feature not a bug so those are my thoughts why don't we get to spoilers for black widow starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want to work it out who's in the box i have been dying to tell you i want to tell you my secret now you want to be fooled all right spoilers for black widow starting right now so Demir you had commented on the opening credits and I I agree with you that this movie walks a very fine line in tone right Mm -hmm. it's dealing with incredibly dark subject matter child trafficking uh, forced sterilization and it manages to do it with with a lot of humor like it manages Mm -hmm. to like uh, treat these things seriously but also like kind of do them lightheartedly like and i mm. uh, i thought the tone really worked i wouldn't necessarily take my kids to go see this movie not that i have any but uh i thought that the tone worked really well Lindsay romaine what do you think of of the tone and how it balanced all these different uh these different subject matters yeah i mean i think we talked about that a little bit but that was the most surprising thing for me mm-hmm. i think and you get that sense right as soon as it opens you know there's this big flashback sequence where you kind of open with uh with natasha as a child um and seeing her undercover and just from that moment honestly just from like seeing the way that it was filmed and the shots and everything the way that it came together it just it felt immediately very different to me and i think Divinder, you mentioned the Americans. That stood yep. out to me right away. Absolutely. Even the, the opening sequence, too, where it kind of plays the Nirvana song or the cover, and you know, you're know, yeah. you seeing this sort of flashback. It, it really reminded me of the Americans there. But just the sense of like character work that goes into it from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it really it, it stood out to me. And yeah, and I felt like it carried through all the way through. Um, you know, sometimes you can have those sort of fancy flashbacks and then the tone is dropped or it changes or whatever. But I felt like that Mm -hmm. really established what this movie was going to be. So I think the first scene of this uh, movie is basically kind of a masterwork, right? Because you get, you get so much so quickly, you get the, the kids in idyllic, like, you know, suburban life. Uh, you, You have like, you know, the, the mom who loves her. It's like a nice home. The dad comes and something's up and immediately things shift on a dime and things get really dangerous. And, there's so many things that happen. Like once they, you know, once the whole action set piece ends and they get to Cuba, um, David Harper's character is just like, fuck these people. Total dick. Yeah. Total dick. <laughs> it's like, and the kids are just stolen away 
And I don't know, that just really Very hard. got me. Yeah. It's it's it was incredibly rough. And then the whole opening sequence is they're going to be living a life of uh human trafficking. They're gonna be taught to be killers. Who knows what else uh they're gonna be doing in spy school, because we know spy school always involves really gross sex shit. Um, it's gross. <laughs> it is it is like it's bad what these girls are going through, and it's like this is in a Marvel movie, you know? It it, yeah. it yeah. felt really dark. When when Florence Pugh like reflects on like how she murdered the woman that set her free, I'm like, wow, yeah. I'm gonna be thinking, I'm gonna be lying awake thinking about that now. Thank that you. That scene, yeah. that scene is so good too because you're like, okay, well, what's happening here? Uh, they're fighting, they're fighting. Oh, that's interesting, and that's our immediate introduction to her character too. I thought was really smart. Yeah, Lindsay, you mentioned the the Americans. I thought the movie actually kind of leverages the the americans and allows mm-hmm. them to sort of shorthand that whole situation it's like yeah, you get it everybody yeah. knows everybody you know we sort of all understand what they don't have to explain that they've been undercover and that right. they've lived this right. false life it's like we yeah. had a whole tv series <laughs> unrelated but you all it, it was also it. it was also reality that was a real thing yeah yeah, that yeah, we, yeah. we've been discovering so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, i feel yeah. like if the americans had never existed they there would have been a little more heavy lifting that need, needed to happen <laughs> there you know if there wasn't the americans or salt the uh, or salt <laughs> yeah the angelina jolie hit action movie yeah yeah um but uh, yeah, well that intro also kind of establishes something that i also think is a really cool thing in this movie that separates it a little bit from other marvel stuff which is that it shows us this family this quote-unquote found family mm-hmm. but it's a complicated found family it's not a family where you know they've come together and I, I know all of them are a little bit complicated but there's darker stuff here that reverberates through the rest of the film and through their relationships um that I think just makes it, yeah, it gives it this sort of darker tone that, um, yeah, it just, it, it feels like nothing that I've seen in yeah. the MCU It reminded before. me a little bit, <laughs> this is, a, people think this is ridiculous, but it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Hirokazu Koreata movie Shoplifters. Which is also, which is also <laughs> I want to about, see where this goes. Yeah, well, it's, it's that, the movie is also kind of about a found family that yes, is in some yes. ways dysfunctional. But like, yeah. there's something valuable about that connection. I love that movie. Um, I love that movie. So and I yeah. just had a, I just had a shoplifter's tingle. You know, that's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it's it's it a good tingle. It it's a good tingle. Yeah. Uh, I, I miss. I want to rewatch shoplifters. But we're talking about like how dark the opening is, and then like on a dime, it can get really fun and yeah. funny. Like I think uh, Florence Pugh's like mocking. Of the Black Widow three-point j- fall so yeah. is perfect. Yes. Just, very very yeah, good. Very incredible. Good. I just would never like, have guessed that the Black Widow standalone movie would have so much humor mm-hmm. and embrace it so much. I, it just – it never felt like part of her character. And I love it. I love that her – the David Harbour character is such a delight and such yeah. a wonderful comedic moments throughout the whole movie and mm-hmm. he is like so that- good and watching him after like seeing him in no sudden move too yeah. in this movie it's like right back a to huge back. range you know what i mean like incredible he's amazing in no yeah. sudden move i'm like oh this is the guy i typically expect david harbour to play right in, in no sudden yeah. move but then watching him in this i'm like wow man he can really yeah. go for it yeah. um, i mean this so- and hellboy this guy can do anything yeah. <laughs> but uh it's he's also a, a good dad actor I think mm-hmm. like we see him as dad, you know, we, I think we all started to love him as Eleven's dad on Stranger Things. So it's like, that's kind of like the thing I see here. This is him as a very bad dad. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it, it, I like how complex it is in a way, because like the, all the family stuff just works so well. Like once they all, once the, you know, Yelena and Natasha meet up with him and they have that plane ride and he is just like, 
he is completely oblivious to to the entire mess of it. But uh, yeah, there that dinner sequence, which is yeah. perfect, and them like you know bringing in Rachel Vice's character, having that family talk and talking it out, was so that hit really deeply. And again, I was surprised by how much that deeply when Florence Pugh's talked about like it was real for me. I right. didn't. I did not expect that to actually move me in a way. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. Uh... Yeah, I, I agree with you that like all the family stuff is the best stuff, which is a shame. Which is why it's a shame that like the it final twenty minutes yeah. of the movie is kind of this <laughs> ridiculous, over the top action sequence. And this is where Jeff's comments really get my goat about like, <laughs> I mean, okay, you can't kill Ray Winstone because if you're smelling his pheromones, which you can't pull the in and that so scene. The solution yeah. is. Um, yeah, not just hold your breath or you know stand like far away from him, but <laughs> plug your nose, no, smash your plug. nose. You you have to sever the nerve, which yeah. by the way you, I, you can just fit. That's how it works. You sever <laughs> yeah. the nerve by smashing your head against the table, swing the leg, sever the nerve, yeah. and then when you want to fix it, you just you just twist the nose back in place, and, and you're all good. You're all good. Yeah, that's that was really silly. I mean, I that, that's a cool that, action guy fixing your broken nose. Let's move. be fair though. Yeah. I don't think she was fixing the nerve in her nose when she. <laughs> put it back in place. I think. Oh, so, so you think that from this point forward, she can't smell anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, maybe, maybe ultimately that's what caused her death. Dave. <laughs> we never know if she could we only have know. smelled. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, all right. But couple- Hey, we're, we're talking about the big action sequence, right? And if you're going to have a big action sequence at the end, how about a, uh, where's our hero moment for Alexi? Where's our hero moment really for Melina, which she, she has like a short one, but it's just all kind of a mess at the end. And uh, Rachel Vice's character should have died. She should have. What did this woman do right. for decades? She's been helping to run this entire system <laughs> mm-hmm. throughout the world mm-hmm. using these girls, uh, mind controlling them. She like, I think like she may have had some of the like programming that Natasha had, but she clearly was aware of what she was doing. She had her own actions. She needed to atone for what was happening. In the end of this movie, she's like, peace, guys. I'm glad I lived. Love you, daughters. What is hilarious about the end of this movie is I was watching it with my wife, and here's the thing. You know that the events of this movie can't have that far-reaching impact. Right. Because if they had, we would have learned about them in Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, right? So... It's like you know that like it's gonna be relatively self-contained, and literally everyone in the movie piles into a ship at the end, and then <laughs> flies away. And my wife was like, "Yep, there goes the uh, the whole plot of the movie flying away in that little plane, <laughs> yeah. so we don't need to deal with it anymore for the rest of the yep. MCU." Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. That just like, "Yep, it's all it's all completely self-contained," as as encapsulated physically, literally in this plane that's flying yeah. away. Melina flew off to her home planet. You yeah. never <laughs> talked to her again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, no, but that's, I mean, I completely agree with that. I do think the end kind of falls apart um, and it gets a little bit silly. And yeah, it's sort of at the detriment because we know that it has to mm-hmm. go a certain way because of Endgame. But the fact that the actual, like, larger overarching thing was really personal and tied to her is what I really liked about it. And which is why, when we were talking about why I called it, like, one of the best standalones, that's sort of what I meant by that, is that mm-hmm. it feels the most reflective of the character, like, the larger thing going on. And I know that's true in, in all of them, but this was the mm-hmm. one that I think just really... It's it, Yeah, even the the sort of male pheromone thing is, is so silly, but that's so creepy in such yeah. a very specific, like, 
woman way. Like it's hard to even put words to, but like it's a movie that's all about control, right? Yeah, like, in a very yeah. specific way. And I do love she gets the dig. Like, man, you weren't even smart enough to break my nose. Yeah. Just like little little things like that are kind of fun. Um, but man, they could have done so much more. We. I feel like we should have seen that character before. Yeah. I think you can't just like introduce him and then have the big action sequence. Let's talk about what happened to uh, Taskmaster. Yeah, I was going to say two two things yeah. I want to discuss before we wrap yeah. up. One is Taskmaster, yeah. which apparently is greatly changed from yep. the comics. Yeah, for right? sure. But in an awesome way, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, in the movie, Taskmaster is Ray Winstone's character's daughter, played by Olga Kurilenko, uh, could not have predicted that that was going to be the face behind that mask when she took yeah. that thing no. Also, the right. only Russian in this movie, right? Who doesn't <laughs> say a word? Well, I had, yeah, yeah, the only actual Russian. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, I had that moment when the mask was coming off. I, I was like, there's no one, we don't know anyone else in this movie. Like, who could this reveal possibly be? I was like, is this going to be Clint Barton behind I, th- I think he, I think you saw the opening credits. It's like, okay, she she's a big enough name. She's been a blonde girl. She's been in things. Right. But uh, oh, Max yeah, Payne, uh, right? Yeah. Max Payne, who could forget? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Jeff, how did you feel about, you You, you think that this character was a, uh, an improvement over the comics, basically, right? Well, I don't, I think it was an improvement because of how it fit well into this film. Like, yeah. I'm not, pedantic enough to say it needs to be like the comics just because it was that way in the comics like use the character it it worked out really cool i thought it was awesome i thought the first fight between black widow and the taskmaster was awesome i think we get like immediately we get that the taskmaster has all of the avengers moves has captain america's moves and hawkeye's moves and like that's awesome that the movie didn't even really have to explain that to us. We just get it because it's using the shield the way Cap uses the shield. And I just thought that all of that, it was awesome. And Taskmaster versus Natasha is, you know, a very uh, classic matchup. And I, I, it paid off in a really cool way. And I liked that they twisted and turned it on its head. And it was a, a surprise to me when that helmet came off. And I was like, that's kind of rad. And I dig that it was you know, it was a woman under there and it, it kind of reinforced that this is very much a woman's movie and, and about that experience. I just thought, I just thought it was a cool way yeah. to take an, a, a character and reimagine it for a different medium. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was just thinking throughout this movie though, that when Natasha has that story about, Oh, I had to sacrifice this young girl to get, to get to the big bad. I was wondering like, would this movie actually let her get away with that? That, you know, like, would, I mean, would you have all, an adventure all, that be is a, a child brutal, That is a brutal scene because there is yeah. a scene that is almost identical to that scene in the Steven Spielberg movie Munich. Yes. You guys yeah. remember that? Yes. Yeah. That's right. And the, the assassins in Munich are like, <laughs> it no. Them. Yeah, like, we are not going to yeah. kill this young girl in the, in the furtherance of our assassination. And those guys are like, pretty cold-blooded like they're not they're there to execute a bunch of people right like that's that is their goal in that movie and i'm like black widow is like a worse person than the assassins in munich (laughs) that was kind of my reaction to that she's not good yeah Yeah. um so anyway well i think it's supposed to have a mirroring to the young women that he has destroyed destroyed their Mm -hmm. lives and it's supposed to i think you're supposed to she's supposed to come to terms with the fact that she became kind of like him. And I think, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the point. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I, it's not, it, it does not give him the gravitas. Right. Of a Munich. I, I don't, 
I, I but we're not in that, that movie, you know? Yeah, I agree that the, the kind of purpose of the movie is like she kind of gets some redemption. Like both both her and Florence Pugh are getting some redemption for their past crimes by like freeing all these remaining girls. Like I get that that's like kind of the thematic arc mm-hmm. of the movie. I don't know that it fully lands this like I've done horrible things and like yeah. I need to atone for that. Like I don't know that yeah. that will be under for me. Lindsay Romain, any it, thoughts on this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, for me it kind of worked because one of the like her memorable lines I believe in the first Avengers is when you know she talks about the red on her ledger, which comes up again here, and mm-hmm. you get the sense that she has this like deep shame for something that has happened and that she's trying to atone from it, like you know from the beginning. So I do think it, that to me sort of paid off. Um, you actually get a sense of what that was, and that's a great point. Yeah. yeah, and that's sort of been this hidden dark thing that she's carried with her this whole time that she's always hinted at in other people's movies, and here it gets to be sort of played out mm-hmm. and you know tease at maybe other things that she's had to to do that you know she she really regrets. So yeah. I, to me, that worked. Well, it's a good thing that Olga Kurylenko was transformed into a killing machine because now she can <laughs> kill her guilt free in this movie. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, well, but yeah, they, no, they save her. I, I know. Yeah, I'm being, yeah. I'm being facetious. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the ending, uh, which is that apparently this was supposed to be the first time we were introduced to Valentina Contessa de la Fontaine or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. played by Julia Louis Dreyfus. Um, this movie again was supposed to come out in May of 2020. So, my guess, which I have no basis for, what's in reality, is that this scene was going to be like longer and more drawn out, like the scene in which we actually met her in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, but because Falcon and Winter Soldier came out first, they're like, let's put the longer intro in that scene. That's my guess as to what happened. Can, I mean, the, the Sam Jackson intro in Iron Man was not long. No, not it's like, at all. boom. Yeah. You, you know who I am. Shit's yeah. about to get real cut to black. Well, uh, yeah, I, that, that's, I mean, what I'm saying yeah. is that his intro in that movie was probably about as ceremonial as her intro in Falcon Winter Soldier. And then in this movie, she gets basically no intro at all, is what I'm, sure. I'm trying to say. So she just shows, she's just there and it's she like, hey, up. I'm Valentina. And it's like, oh, okay. She, she'd um, probably have like one more line saying, like, I'm, I'm putting together a team. Right, exactly. And she just That's uses that line. My guess Falcon, is that, yeah. like, I just can't imagine this, like, in this form, this would have been the first introduction to the character. Maybe it would have mm-hmm. been. I don't know. But. Uh, it, what it teases is that Florence Pugh's character is going to return uh, mm-hmm. and apparently trying to kill Hawkeye, which, by the way, I am all for. I think that character does Please. not need to exist yes. anymore. Good God. <laughs> well, yeah. we're Florence getting a Hawkeye Pugh series, him. right? Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a series coming this year, so we'll yeah. see her again soon. The wrong yeah. kid died, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> wrong kid died uh, in Avengers Endgame. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts? Or shall we wrap it up there? If so, uh, fun, I think, fun movie. Yeah, fun that? movie. Yeah, real, we had a good time. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I, I think for like me, it's like top tier Marvel, top third, maybe top quartile. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that it's the case for Lindsay Romain as well. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Divinger, but I'm curious. I'd say Jeff, top third. Yeah. yeah. Where, where does it rank for you, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. No, it's top tier Marvel for sure. It's, it, it is way better than I anticipated it being. And I, I had, a, I had a great time with it. I think it, it stands alone and it fits in also. And it, uh, you know, it, I think it's definitely top third Marvel movie. Very, very good. I'll say for it. me, I watched, I watched a screener for it. And as soon as it was over, like I kept thinking about it and I watched it again, which very wow. rarely, huh. that yeah, very rarely yeah. happens with me. In fact, I don't think I've seen any of the other Marvel, maybe a couple of them more than once, but yeah, that one I just immediately wanted to rewatch. And I don't usually get that feeling from these types of movies. So yeah, yeah. it, yeah. It really works. You know, and 
I'm not, I'm not going to compare it to anything else. I will yeah. just say, <laughs> I love that the Marvel Universe, or, or Kevin Feige's stewardship of these properties allows for something to be dark and entertaining and and have these these very mature themes this this assassin storyline and be fun and goofy and funny and silly and not, and and be able to juggle those two things and not be afraid to be funny and have fun moments and understand that those things can coexist and understand that the one makes the other better and vice versa. And I just, it makes me so happy that that is the tone of these mm -hmm. movies that even, even this movie, even black widow, which I did not expect at all to be as funny and as, you know, as silly and, and, and as, and as irreverent as it is, uh, can, it has the courage to be that I, I dig that so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes me curious too, since this one was so successful, if they'll, go back and sort of insert, you know, characters into past timelines. I don't know that that would work with anybody else, but I don't know. I just thought that was a unique sort of way to tell this story too, is, you know, yeah. just stick it into a time when we wouldn't necessarily expect. And mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Alrighty. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Black Widow. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Uh, you can email us still for now at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You know, guys, it does occur to me that at the end of the day, it's extremely impressive that Kate Shortland made a movie. Uh, the theme song for this episode was written by Adam Warrock.bandcamp.com. You can find his music there. Noah Ross is responsible for our weekly plugs music. Our spoiler bumper was by Kyle Corwith, and this episode was edited by me, David Chen. Uh, Lindsay Romain, thanks so much for joining us. You, where, where do you tell people about where to find you these days? Yeah, you can find my work at Nerdist still. Um, I still contribute a little bit over there um, and maybe elsewhere in the future. Um, and you can go back and read all my stuff at Nerdist and I've written for Slash Film Vulture many places. So just Google my name. <laughs> it's been such a delight to have you on and uh, we're really uh, grateful that you could join us today, Lindsay, for yeah. this momentous yeah. episode. So thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much for having me. That really means a lot that I got to be here for that. <laughs> Thank you. Next week... We will be discussing uh, A Quiet Place Part 2, uh, which is going to be on Paramount Plus by the time you're listening to this. And uh, for the After Dark this week, we got some uh, some Tomorrow War spoilers as well as some other fun <laughs> surprises. So uh, you can access that and support the show at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Crazy.